Good day, good night, and welcome to Off the Woodworks. We are now live. We have launched. You can find us on Twitter at Off the Woodworks. On Facebook, Off the Woodworks. You can see the feed, the RSS feed. You can listen to us on any RSS reader, any podcast application on Android. You can't find us on iTunes yet, but if you actually put the feed in your browser... It's going to open on the iTunes application, and you can subscribe, so subscribe to After Woodworks. It's a good day today for After Woodworks. First of all, we're live, so it's first actual episode. No more pilots. We're good to go, and on later on, on the second part of the show, our first guest. We're going to have Morgan Green from the EPL Talk podcast to talk about the, the end of the season in the EPL. In the English Premier League, or the Barclays Premier League, or the Premiership, or call it whatever you like, he's going to be here to talk about a couple of the battles left, relegation battle, promotion battle, who's going to be playing for the Champions League, who's going to be in the Europa League, you know how I like the Europa League, which Chelsea's going to win this year, and we're going to talk about a little bit of the Chelsea, because he's a fellow Chelsea supporter like me. So that's in the second part, but first of all... A radioactive referee and some blind linesmen cost Montreal two points on the weekend. 1-1 draw at the Saputo. Two great cracker of a goal. by One by DeVaio and one by Dominic Arduro. Great shot by DeVaio. First of all, it should have been a second goal. Because we're going to go right into it. It should have been a second goal. The first one he scored, to call him offside. Well, you know what? I've... Took a look at the replay for, I don't know, 10 times at least. At least 10 times I looked, about it. I looked at it. And every single time, he's an inch onside. And like Nigel Reed said, level is onside. Level is onside. And for once, DeVaio was onside on that one. Oh, DeVaio. DeVaio. He's playing great this year. If you listen to the first four episodes, you know how I like his play, his movement, the way he attracts defenders, how he creates space, how he runs into the lane and just take great shots. And he should have scored twice. And okay, he was offside a couple of times, but the first goal he scored, the cross shot into the left bottom corner, was actually onside. Even Nyasi on the first pass on that play was onside as well. So that's a blown call by the referee, blind linesman again, and that radioactive referee, Mr. Mark Geiger, radioactive. So Mr. Geiger counter should have called at least one penalty. DeVaio got tripped in the box at around the 80th minute, and no call there. And many fouls he didn't call on Montreal that actually called on Columbus. Call me biased, call me a fanboy of the impact which you're probably right on both accounts. But Mark Geiger was pro-Columbus in that game. He had too much of an impact in that game. The referee should not dictate the play of a game. The players that should actually determine the outcome of a game. And Montreal lost two points. Okay, granted, it's the first two points of the whole season we leave on the pitch. Well, actually, in the pitch, if you look at the conditions of the pitch in the game, there was nothing on. Everything was in the pitch. Anyways, it's the first time of the year 
we actually leave points on the table. First two points we missed because we four wins and two enough two nil defeat in Kansas City, and now in Montreal one one draw. It actually reminded me a lot of the game against Chicago at the second game of the year last year, the Saputo against Chicago, the one one draw as well. Both games looked very similar, the exception of the Vios guard. And Devaya looks a lot more dangerous than Karate or Wenger did last year. But the game in itself looked a lot like it. And what a cracker by Don Oduro. First of all, Asun Kamara misread where the ball was going to land. He should have headed it out. And he tried to volley it out. And then he missed the ball. Oduro first touched it to his left foot. And just crackers it volley style to the right top corner. What a shot. Perkins is not tall enough to go get those balls. Very close, though. It's the only way, place, if it was on target, it's the only place where Perkins couldn't go get it. And that's where Oduro shot it. And what a goal by Oduro. I told you in the last couple of episodes that if the big guns of Columbus were on that day, we're going to be in trouble. And that's what happened. The guns were on for, what, five minutes? Arieta didn't even start Spee's start, and Spee's actually impressed me. Yeah, he took the starter role from Ariel Arieta, and it's not easy. Arieta's pretty good. Last year, he made magic happen with Federico Higuain. Higuain's very dangerous. We saw that again on, on Sunday. And But Dominic Arduro, what an acquisition in the offseason. I think it's the best move of the offseason for any team in the MLS. Dom Arduro is quite the acquisition. Great great goal. It's his second goal of the year. He scored against Montreal. And he's now tied for best score with his team with Josh Williams, a defender. Which is a great fantasy pick. If you need two players from Columbus in your, in your fantasy, Arduro and Josh Williams. Higuain is so expensive. Go get Arduro. And Mr. Josh Williams, Eddie Gavin could be good, but that Gavin's actually playing midfield, and he's a defender in the fantasy, so might not be the best choice. Go get Oduro, and go get Josh Williams. Great additions. So that's about enough for the one-one draw, the stalemate at the Saputo. It's a lackluster kind of game. Two great goals that canceled each other. And blown calls by the referee. That's about... You can sum up the game like that. And I left the cup, I left the stadium a little bit disappointed. I was expecting a little bit more. The pitch, actually, from the stadium perspective, when I was at the stadium, with my point of view that I had in the cup, the pitch didn't look that bad. It actually looked all right. When I got back home and I watched the replays, oh my God, the pitch looked bad. You could see pieces of grass flying everywhere. You could see holes missing grass. In front of the keepers, there was mud, actually. Not even just dirt. It was mud. It was. It looked like a, a bumpy pitch from the Caribbeans. It looked like the pitch from San Pedro Sula. Or it's probably even nicer over there. Well, for once, I'm not going to give the blame to anybody. It's not Mr. Rockpoulet's fault. It's not the impact's fault. 48 hours before the game, there was 20 centimeters of snow, very heavy and very damp snow, 
right on the field and actually made it. So now the field's got two weeks to recover. So we're going to plant some grass. We're not going to smoke it. We're just going to plant it. And hopefully in two weeks, that pitch can look a lot nicer and we're going to be able to beat Chicago and then beat Toronto in the second leg of the Amway Canadian Championship. And that's the next game for the Montreal Impact on April 24th at the BMO Field. Montreal is playing against Toronto. The second Classico of the year for us Eastern Canadians. It's going to be a cracker of a game. Toronto's playing better. Montreal's seem to not have rhythm. They, they have four games early in the season, and then two weeks off, one game at Kansas City, Kansas City, another two weeks off. So we seem to be lacking rhythm in the last game, and it's not even their fault. It's because of the schedule, the way it's made, because of the L.A. and the Champions League, the game that was postponed till later on this season in October. And I'm not a fan of that move. Now we're going to have to travel to L.A. at the end of the season. Well, okay, gladly, we're not going to play in the Montreal weather in October, which is maybe an advantage for us against a team like L.A. with all the Latino players and the warm climate players that play for L.A. would have had an advantage. But now we're playing in L.A. In the sun in late October, we have to travel the whole continent, and everybody knows what happens when you travel east to west. It's harder on the body, especially for athletes. So watch out for that game. Might be a trap. Might be a trap game at the end of the season because of that CONCACAF Champions League, which we want to qualify. And getting back to that game on April 24th in BMO, if you want to attend that game, Go ultramontreal.com, ultrasmontreal.com. They're selling a package to go see that game. It's a hundred bucks, ticket, and bus ride to go there. All the details are on the site. You won't regret it. Go travel to the ultras. I did last year with Toronto in October. Was freezing, froze my arse off at the BMO Field to see a nil-nil game. So go buy your ticket. Go. Go support your club, support your city, support your club. Travel with a group, good group of guys. The Ultras, you'll like it. You'll get drunk, you'll, you'll forget you're in Toronto, which is the best part of the trip. So go see ultrasmontreal.com, ultrasmontreal.com, and buy your ticket for that trip. Support your team, support your club. We'll take a little break. We'll come back talk about my predictions, which... We're horrible this weekend. Draw Central in the MLS. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the feed. Just go to my Twitter, you'll get the address. Or you can always click the feed and you'll get it on your application. Either podcast application or on, on Android. 
and we're back. So we're going to talk about all the draws this weekend. So many draws. I pre never predict draws like I was saying. I'll predict wins because draws are boring. It's like anticlimactic. I was at the game this weekend in Montreal and you feel like you're going to win and then it's equal and then you just stay on that no feeling. You don't feel angry because you lost. You don't feel like you're losers. You just you can't celebrate either. So it's like a no feeling. It's no fun. It's no feeling. It's a no feeling. I think it should never settle for the draw. I always think you should go all out. Try to go win it. But I guess you don't control what's happening on the pitch all the time. I was 1 out of 7 in my predictions. Which is very bad. 1 out of 7. Which brings me to 10 out of 25 the whole season. Which is under 500 which is beginning to look like a real broadcaster prediction. That's what my friend Minnie Sabrango said. You sound like a real broadcaster now. You predict like a real one. You're always wrong. I'm like a weather forecaster. Anyways, so we're going to prepare the ground for the English Premier League. It's the end of the season. It's There's one game going on as we speak, and tomorrow, Chelsea's playing tomorrow. So I'm going to watch that game tomorrow, and probably do a podcast about it on Thursday. I want to interest you guys to the end of the season in the Premier League. It's one of the it's the most watched league in the entire world. It's exciting. Just when you look at the images on the TV, you see the crowd. Okay, they're sitting now. They used to be standing and waving flags and with pyros and fumigens and everything. But now they're all sitting and just watching the game and reacting to every single play, every single move of the players. They're always reacting oohs and ahs, and there's still songs. If you watch Liverpool, they're still singing. A couple of the other places are singing. They're always supporters singing in every single club in DPL. And it's the most enjoyable league to watch. Okay, I'll gladly give it to you that when you watch Manchester United against Reading, It won't be a barn burner of a game. But when you watch a reading against Sunderland, a reading against West Ham, those kind of games, those are so interesting. The two cups are on fire against each other. You can hear on the TV supporters battling it out. And it's amazing, all the crowd and the noise. And then the actual game on the pitch, one of the most high-tempo, physical And technical and tactical game on the face of the earth. Okay, they're not faring well in Europe, the England team this year. But it doesn't take anything away from the EPL, from the Barclays. It's still the premiership and still, in my point of view, the best thing in the world. So if you want to get interested in that league, we're week 33 out of 38. There's actually just a handful of games left in week 33. So we're going to talk about week 34 and there's 34 up to 38 so there's five weeks remaining so who's gonna win the league we all know who's gonna win the league manchester united they have a mountain of a lead on top of the league on top of the table and nobody's gonna catch them city cannot catch them and then you get arsenal and chelsea the four first spot if you're new to the european soccer and to dpl the first four spots qualified for the Champions League which is almost a trophy in itself just to qualify for the Champions League the amount of publicity and 
not just publicity, but advertising revenue you get from playing in the Champions League is astronomical. And the fifth spot goes to the Europa League. So the first top five spots qualify for Europe. So the last battle left, it's not, City's going to qualify for the Champions League, it's for sure. So is Manchester United. So the battle is between Arsenal, Chelsea, and Tottenham for the last two spots remaining. And then the fifth spot. So for the last three spots, you get those three clubs trying to battle it out. And then you get a couple of clubs close to it, like Liverpool, like Liverpool and Everton, who are just on the cusp, right on the cusp, on the lip of making it into Europa or Europe or Champions. But it's so close. Just a handful of points are separating them. And their calendars are so much different. The schedule is very different between all those teams. Chelsea has a very tough schedule. They're playing Arsenal. Well, they're playing... They're playing Manchester United. They're playing very hard teams. But if you look at Arsenal's schedule and Tottenham's schedule, they're easier. So it's going to be hard for Chelsea to qualify for the Champions League. And for me to say that, it hurts. So we're going to talk about this with Morgan a little later on. And the relegation battle, which for me is the most interesting battle. Who's going to go down to the championship? And who's going to come up? There's a couple teams for sure going down. Reading, the boat has sailed. They're going down. They're done for this year. Put a fork in them. They're done. They're going down for sure. And then you get QPR, Wigan, Sunderland, Aston Villa, and Stoke. All those teams are two, three points separated of all each other, and a couple of games different, couple of games played different between each other. So it's going to be really interesting to see who's going down and who's going to come up. So we're going to talk about this with Morgan after the break. Back on Off the Woodworks, I would like to welcome Mr. Morgan Green to the show. How you doing, Morgan? I'm doing all right, right, Kevin. Kevin, Thank you for having me. me. Thank you for being the first guest in the history of Off the Woodworks, Mr. Morgan Green, who's doing the EPL Talk podcast out of Baltimore. So, Morgan, what do you think about the Chelsea's end of the season so far? Uh, I think uh, it's going to kind of be like the rest of the season, honestly. A lot of games. I think they got two games a week through the end of the season, and... uh, you know, it's tough because you're starting to see them kind of wear down a little bit. I think you saw it a little bit in the uh, semifinal against City. They just seemed leggy for most of the game. But, you know, hopefully they can kind of pull down in some of those reserve uh, energy tanks that they have and see out the rest of the season into fourth place. I think they have a good chance of doing it, though. I think they could definitely take at least third, if not fourth. Well, I agree with you. I, I believe it's going to be all against Manchester United. If we get a point or three in that game, we might stay in third, maybe fourth position and go to Champions League. Yeah, then that's going to be a huge, uh, it's going to be a huge game, especially for the fact that the game is being played in Manchester where, 
uh, until the game against uh, Manchester United in the FA Cup. City, I mean, Chelsea has played awful in the Manchester City limits, both against uh, United and City. They've not won there in quite a while. And I think personally, though, that second half that they had that comeback against United in the FA Cup was probably the best they've played inside of Manchester in several years. So hopefully they can build upon that and they'll be able to at least get a point out of that game. I agree totally. And speaking about Manchester, we all know that Manchester United has the league locked down. What's the biggest surprise you think is going to happen in DPL before the end of the season? I think the biggest surprise is going to be Stoke City going down, which to some it may not be a shock, but I think to the casual observer it will be, given the fact that Stoke have kind of been that team that is almost you know, typified being the mid-table team, usually safe, very far away from relegation, especially when you look at the money they spent. They should definitely be safe. They should not be anywhere near the bottom. I just think that they've looked terrible in their last several games that they've played, especially that Manchester United game at home. They just look awful. And I, I think it's going to be a tough run-in for them. I can't, you know, I think that them going down is going to be the shock of the season so far. Usually they, they're able to draw their way into remaining into the Premier League. But this year with Peter Crouch having a horrible season, I've seen this week um, the 10 worst strikers in the Premier League were minutes per goal. And Peter Crouch was, I think, was a thousand minutes per goal this year. Yeah, that's definitely not a return you want from a striker of any sort, especially one who's been around quite as long as Peter Crouch. He is, he can get, uh, you know, he, he has known to have some goal droughts recently, but I think that for the way that Stokes set up and the way they play, he's kind of the perfect striker for them. So it, you know, it really is shocking to see him go through that. And actually, you know, Stoke, just until uh, the, the last day of last year of 2012, they were as, far, as high up as ninth place and looking safe and ready to go. They only needed 11 points to get to 40. And now they're having a, you know, one of the historical collapses at the end of the year now to get to this, uh, this point where they're only three points away from being relegated behind, you know, from Wigan, and Wigan have two games in hand, so I think they're definitely they're definitely in a tough spot. This year is the year in the Premier League where the team that usually make it out, like QPR, are going to go down. What do you think is going to happen to Harry Redknapp after QPR goes down? Well, personally, I think from what you've seen from Harry recently, some of his uh, speaking in the media about the team kind of distancing himself from the team is saying them, not us, uh, really going hard on them. Um, he's kind of distancing himself, and I think he's kind of either A, he's poising himself to leave the team because he knows that they're going down and that they're not going to be able to keep a lot of those guys. He means not going to stay there for sure. No, there's a lot of them aren't going to stay. There's no way they can. There's no way that they'll be able to sustain that wage budget in the championship. Uh, I could see pretty much almost the entire team, the almost the entire starting eleven, uh, leaving that team. And I think that that's just that's not something that Harry's going to want to subject himself to, especially in the championship, having to do a rebuild down there. So, don't be shocked if he walks away in the summertime. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. And just speaking about QPR. What's your over-under on the, the amount of game Ryan Nelson is going to coach TFC before he starts playing for them? <laughs> uh, I think 
Ryan Nelson is, I think his playing is done, unfortunately. You know, he, he even said uh, towards the end of his time when he was being linked to the TFC coaching job that, he, you know, he's playing on glass knees and glass ankles. And as somebody who has, I guess you could say, uh, not glass knees, but has very bad knees, I can feel his pain. And I, I can see that at this point he's been out for so long it would take so long for him to get back into it i think he's i think he's pretty much done even though it would be fun to watch him come back maybe have a game against dc united that'd be fun to watch yeah not against dc though they're struggling enough as it is <laughs> yes enough about the mls so i was thinking that with everton on and liverpool on the cusp do you think any of them's got the chance of playing in europe next year I think out of Everton and Liverpool, I think Everton has the best chance of playing in Europe. Um, for them to do so, it w would take a bit of a collapse, I would say, from either Tottenham or Arsenal. Um, you know, Arsenal had been flying high until this game today against Everton and the draw. But, you know, I think their schedule isn't, isn't the hardest. I know they do have to play Manchester United. But, you know, they're getting Man U at a time when they've already wrapped up the championship. And I think that, that you know, that may be a game that they can take points from. But, uh, you know, the, the real team that could be on the outside looking in for Everton to take out for Europe would probably be Spurs at this point, especially given the fact of the amount of injuries that they have. Well, With Gareth Bell is still injured for a couple of weeks. Yeah, Gareth Bale is still injured, but even Gareth Bale, Tottenham is a team that has played without Gareth Bale before. Oh, okay. They've yeah, they've sustained without him. The big thing is the fact that they don't have Aaron Lennon and Jermaine Defoe. So two of those three guys being in there is the pace that that team needs to kind of get the engine going and to boost up the rest of the guys. At this point right now, they're pretty much relying on Clint Dempsey and Emmanuel Adebayor for speed. <laughs> And you know, Dempsey, he's a fantastic player, but he's not a burner. And Adebayor is, you know, given his reputation, he's not a burner either. So I think, you know, kind of watching Tottenham play without their speed is like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a viper without his venom. Well, they've been struggling lately. I've been watching just the highlights of Tottenham from last weekend. They haven't been the same team. No, they haven't because, again, the speed, the speed that yeah. they need to play with with those guys. And, again, two of those three, if they have – Aaron Lennon to provide the speed and Jermaine Defoe to, to provide the speed, they're, they're fine. They have, you know, pretty much what they need to get through and they are that level higher. But now without their speed and their lineup, they're back to being about a mid table side, especially with some of the young guys that they have in there. Uh, you know, the Kyle Walkers and they're throwing in Kyle Naughton, Michael Calker. Their defense as well is a little, uh, suspect for me. I think they do get some good goalkeeping out of Hugo Lloris, but you know there's only so far it's going to be able to take you if you can't score goals. And if Tottenham run into several draws here at the wrong time at the end of the season, you could see them fall out of European competition uh, qualification. Yeah. Well, Hugo Lloris, I've seen him play last summer. He was in Montreal to play against uh, Montreal, actually. But see, one of the la one of his last game was Lyon was against us, and he didn't play the whole 90 minutes, but it was just fun to see him play 20 minutes. Yeah, no, Lloris is a very good keeper. I think, you know, he, he's more, he's kind of like your, uh, your typical sweeper keeper almost. He does like to come out of the box. Um, you know, that, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, uh, depending on who you talk to, but he's definitely a keeper that fits in with this side. He can get rid of the ball quickly. He's very good with his passing. I think that he's definitely the perfect keeper for this team. In Montreal, we all have seen what a bad keeper can do to your team. 
Nice hearing, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Donovan Ricketts from Jamaica. So I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Do you think the Golden Boot is all wrapped up, or somebody's going to catch up RVP? I think Suarez actually has it uh, locked up. Personally. It's true by one goal. Yeah, I think um, you know just Suarez. The fact that he has done it all year, he hasn't had really that long term lull that uh, RVP has now. You know, Liverpool have had a bit of, I guess you could say, a lull themselves recently. They do. They've been creating a ton of chances. Their finishing has been a bit off recently. But I think, uh, for my money. Uh, Luis Suarez is your player of the year, just, yeah. you know, given the fact that that, that fall off from RVP and even again, the goal that he scored was a penalty against Stoke. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, even though he celebrated like he won the World Cup after it, I don't know that it, you know, that, that's the kind of, uh, thing that you want to have to rely on through the end of the season, unless he comes back and really, you know, starts tearing into teams at the end of the year and gets that goal tally up to about 27, 28, 29. Yeah. I think that Suarez will, uh, I think Suarez takes the golden boot. That was my next question. Who's going to score the next goal in the running play? Nasri or RVP? The two uh, longest streak before the, this weekend. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good one. I, I, I'd have to give it to RVP, especially uh, – you know, City, it's funny when David Silva's playing in there with Samir Nasri, you know, Nasri's just a, he's a different player. He's essentially useless when yeah. David Silva's in there. And I think if he, if, if, yeah, it's going to, it's going to depend on how soon, how long David Silva's out for, but I'd still have to, I, you got to give it to the striker well, over the winger uh, in that I'm not going to lie, Samir Nasri, I used to like him, but I've been rewatching recently a French documentary called A la Clairefontaine where you see all the French players in the academy during a three-year span. You see uh, Atem Ben Arfa and all that generation when they're about 11, 12 years old. And Nazri already gets on my nerves in that team. Uh, that, that is a very uh, – it's a very petulant generation yeah. of uh, players in that, you know, as you were saying, the Hatem Ben Arfa's, the uh, Samir Nazri's we've seen. Hatem Ben Arfa obviously is a bit more uh, noted in his yeah. – uh, petulance, especially, you know, given the, the, the rest of his time that he had at, uh, I believe it was Marseille. Yep. He just, you know, very petulant. That's why it was more of a gamble. I mean, you know, Samir Nasri, you haven't really seen it as much in his, uh, in his professional game. I mean, you've seen yeah. blips here and there, but, you I know, you've it. never seen him personally just sitting out games just yeah. because of his attitude. Well, I see it in his eyes for some reason. I can't <laughs> put the finger on it, but I see it in his eyes. Two quick questions left, Mr. Morgan. So, do you give Wigan any chance of beating Man City in the final of the FA Cup? I do. I really uh-huh. do. I think, you know, Wigan, they're in their end-of-the-season form right now, and they've been known at the end of the season to beat the big sides. And I true. think that, you know, it certainly gives them a chance. They always play the top teams very well, and the fact that the FA Cup is played after the season, so they will have a chance to rest some of their guys, especially if they do secure promotion, uh, or not promotion, but they secure their safety with those two games in hand. Now, those two games in hand, they are going to have to play Manchester City and Tottenham, if I'm not mistaken. You know, by no way are those easy games, but I still think that, you know, given the, given the way that the games are set up right now and the teams that are around them, I think that they will get their uh, safety fairly easily. And I think that they'll be able to rest some guys come the end of the year and they'll definitely give City a go. It's, I mean, you see how impressive they were in that game against Millwall. That's true. And again, gra- granted it's Millwall, but 
you know, they could definitely give him they could definitely give him a game. The key player is obviously going to be Yaya Torre. If he's on his game and he's just bulldozing his way through the midfield, I think that City City could walk away with it. But you know, if they can contain the amount of touches that Yaya Torre gets, then I think Wigan definitely have a chance to take the FA Cup. And last thing, Morgan, who's going to come back to Chelsea first, Lukaku or Marino? Uh, well, Lukaku has to come back, so he doesn't really have a choice in okay. that matter. Um, you know, the, the whole Jose Mourinho thing, and I, I've been vocal about this, has been, I, I can't see him coming back. I just, the way that Roman acted after he got rid of him and all of those years and trying to get out of Roman, of, uh, Jose Mourinho's shadow, of getting rid of, the Jose players get in, you know, just trying to play a completely different style and distancing himself as much as possible. The fact, you know, just seeing him bringing him back and just saying, okay, you know what, whatever, those, these past, you know, five, six years have just been whatever, we're going to bring him back in. I just can't see him throwing that away. Then again, he's the best coach in the world. And why wouldn't you want the best coach in the world on your team? So. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, uh, you know, it's tough for me to see him coming back personally, but, you know, if he does come back, I can't say that I'd be extremely shocked. Well, as a fellow Chelsea supporter, you'll agree that Benitez is not going to come back, that's for sure. No, and, and you know what? I think Rafa gets too much stick from, stick from the fans and everybody. I think Rafa, if Rafa did come back, I think he would have this team contending for the title next year. Yeah, if you look the at thing- football-wise, if you just look at the actual team played before Rafa and after Rafa, the Chelsea's played more like a team after than before. They have, and I think, you know, you've seen it more in glimpses. I think what's really hurting Rafa is the fact that this team has played so many games yeah. this year, and he's been forced into so many different, so many rotations of this team that he hasn't been able to get consistent results. I think that going in, if Rafa were to stay and give this team the stability that they need at the managerial position, then I think they would definitely be playing for you know, playing for the title next year and could and probably would win the title next year if he were able to stay. Unfortunately, he's already made it known that he's not going to stay and the Chelsea fans got their way. So we'll see what happens. There's really only one upgrade in my, in my mind at this point. That would be Jose Mourinho. So do you think Chelsea's got a shot next year for the league? Absolutely. Um, That's you know, doing. as, uh, as my, you know, my friend and colleague, Kartik Krishnayer yeah. says often, um, you know, and he believes, and I do believe it as well. I think man for man, Chelsea have the best team in the premier league. Oh. If you look at the amount of depth that they have, the players that they have man for man, they can match up with anybody and are, you know, I think are better than a lot of the teams that are ahead of them. And it's just, again, it just comes back to that whole stability at the top and stability at the manager position. And that's something that really messes with this team and the players around them. So, and you know, if they, if they bring in a familiar face like Mourinho, I think they'll, de- I think they could run away with the league next year. But even if they kept Rafa, I think they would definitely win the league by several points next year. Can you imagine we get Jose Mourinho and then Fernando Torres needs to put a mask for every single game he plays next year? <laughs> He does. He is, he is, uh, transformed himself into Rip Hamilton. <laughs> I call him Batman Torres. Yeah. He's pretty good as well. <laughs> but you know, also is that, you know, Rafa, again, the, the, one of the reasons that he was brought in was to get performances out of, 
Fernando Torres, and I think that he's just provided the comfort that Torres needs. These last several games that Torres has played and the impact that he's had, this is the best he's played in his entire Chelsea career. I'd be sad if he left at the end of the season, if he if he was sold at the end of the season at this point, because you see now what they bought and what they got out of him. So if their next manager bring that they bring in is able to focus on Torres and kind of keep his confidence up and, you know, play the way that they've been playing to get the most out of him. I think they've definitely got a good deal. I believe it's a mental thing. I believe the mask actually gives him more, not confidence, but it gives more uh, reckless. He's more reckless when he has the mask on. And it's weird, but it's just enough to give him confidence, a a little boost. And I think he's so pretty. When he plays, he's so pretty. And for me, it's called a beautiful game, not for no reason. He's so pretty to watch run play. Everything he does has grace. And I know I sound like a fanboy, but I like the way he plays. I do too. I mean, he, you watch the way he plays and it's almost more at this point in his career, he's playing almost more like another midfielder yep. rather than a striker. Cause he can't, you know, he can't beat guys off the dribble anymore. He's lost that. He's lost a bit of a step yep. he that he used speed, to have too. when he was younger. And I think now he's, you know, he's learning how to make the smart runs, how to do the interplays. And I think, you know, even a player like, you know, Romelu Lukaku, who we've seen, he's another one that, you know, he can run for days and he's, his passing is decent and he can link up well. As you've seen with West Brom this year, he can link up well with the midfielders. I think he would be a great, uh, he would be a great addition as well to this team. I don't know that necessarily they need to go out and, by one more striker, yeah, but don't, you know, don't if they did, I would, you know, I wouldn't be complaining if they brought in Radamel Falcao or somebody <laughs> like that. <laughs> exactly. Well, there is a problem of too many strikers, and with Dembaba, Falcao maybe next year, Lukaku coming back, and Torres, we might have a trouble. <laughs> I want to thank you, Morgan Green, very much for being the first guest on Off the Woodworks. You are now part of the Off the Woodworks Hall of Fame. Well, it's just a sticker on my wall, but. Granted, it's still an honor. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm very appreciative of the honor of being the first guest on uh, Off the Woodworks. And anytime you want me, just give me a call. I'll be right there for you. And everybody out there, go subscribe to the EPL Talk podcast on iTunes or anywhere you'd like. All engine running. Once again, I want to thank Morgan Green for being part of this show. So there's one game going on on Wednesday night. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, you just got a couple of hours to do your fantasy. So it's New York versus Kansas City at the Red Bull Arena. So load up with all the Kansas City players you can in your fantasy. I myself took Nielsen in the goal, the ex-smoker. And then I took uh, Claudio de Bieber Bieler in front and Graham Zussi in the middle. So I got my three players. And Nielsen's my captain. He's going to play the two games and the whole 90 minutes in the two games. So load up with those two those players to make a lot of points in fantasy so you can catch up to other people. So this week and week 11, Kansas City are playing two games. 
so you can catch up to people in front of you in the league. So speaking about leagues, you can join the Opt What Works Fantasy League on MLSsoccer.com. The code the league code is one five one two one dash three three two zero. One five one two one dash three three two zero. Join the league with all the other eight people that are on there. I'm not even first again. Had a decent week. I'll catch up. So this week, Kansas City two games they're playing. And get Nielsen as your captain, like I said. So that's it for Off the Woodworks this week. I'm really happy to announce that we're live and we're launched. So check for the RSS feed on Twitter at Off the Woodworks, Facebook Off the Woodworks with an X again, because we're cool here on Off the Woodworks. Or you can email me with any questions, comments, thoughts, and if you have answers, I'll take them as well. Off the Woodworks at hotmail.com. I'm Kevin Aramé, your host, and as always, have a great soccer.